Crow Show. This episode, we discuss feel, the importance of feeling emotions. I'm excited and a little bit nervous to bring this to you as it's the very first episode, but I'm sure throughout the creation of this podcast, we can feel, heal, and grow together. Here's a brief introduction to who I am. My name is Marina Vander Hayden, and I am the founder of Sprout, an app to help you feel your emotions, heal painful perceptions, and grow into your best self. I am an emotional intelligence practitioner, meditation teacher, cognitive behavioral therapy practitioner, hypnotherapist, breathwork facilitator, and lifelong learner, to name a few things. Having struggled with mental and emotional health for most of my life, I've experienced how the state of my inner world affects nearly every aspect of my outer reality. I believe understanding and nurturing the layers of ourselves is how we can make the most of this human experience and inspire others to do the same. In this podcast, my goal is to help you embody wisdom with the application of knowledge to feel adaptable, peaceful, and resilient in daily life. So, welcome. Take a deep breath in through the nose, out through the mouth. Relax your jaw and shoulders and settle in for a journey within. So let's get right into it. The importance of emotion. So feelings and emotions can seem burdensome when you've been conditioned to think of them as weakness, but they don't exist to be avoided or condemned. They have a very important purpose. They're messengers from the intelligence of our whole being, our body, our mind, our heart. They provide essential information we need to understand ourselves, meet our needs, and develop meaningful relationships. By tuning into our emotions, acknowledging them, allowing them to arise, and inquiring into their source, we develop a deeper sense of self-awareness. And to know thyself is the foundation to a fulfilling life. And if I've learned anything in life, it's that everyone has a story and has experienced pain and suffering in some sense. It's unavoidable in the human experience. Sometimes pain alters our perception and causes us to live from a place of fear rather than love. But the beauty of being human is the plasticity of our brains. We have a miraculous ability to change. And that's why healing starts with feeling. Healing is the next podcast topic, so stay tuned for this. In connecting with the emotions alive within us and communicating with them to understand our needs and desires, while being mindful of the context we're experiencing them in, we can learn to make peace with them and perhaps heal painful responses transforming pain into compassion, or maybe even purpose. And while it's important to feel emotions, it's important to balance mind and heart to use emotion intelligently. We must use emotions as data, not directives. When you're able to recognize emotion as a piece of information or data at any given moment, 
then you can use this information to move forward. Bottling up or repressing emotions also negatively affects well-being, relationships, work, stress, and much more. As humans, we're wired for connection and expression, and repressing our expression goes against our biology. In my personal experience, repressing emotions has led to them getting stronger and stronger until they eventually boil over in an overwhelming and often uncontrollable way. This may come in the form of panic attacks, depressive episode, or even reactivity, fits of anger or rage. That's why I found it absolutely transformative to tune into my emotions and process them as they occur to keep them balanced and manageable. Giving yourself permission to feel, to truly feel, is a superpower and it can help you get better at regulating and accepting your emotions. Because once we understand our emotions and where they come from, we can manage our responses to them to serve our greatest good. And emotions affect almost every aspect of life and how we live. This includes motivation, learning, growth, development, survival, attention, memory, decision-making, problem-solving, connection and attachment to others, our career, passions, fulfillment, creativity, and overall well-being. When we're experiencing hardships and challenges, emotion can seem like more of a burden than a blessing. But with practice, you can learn how to transform even painful emotions into beautiful reminders of your aliveness. And I can't forget to mention intuition, the fleeting first sign of emotion often called a gut feeling, can help keep you safe from harm in ways the mind can't always comprehend. And I have to admit, if I had listened to my intuition more, I wouldn't have had to endure half the hardship I've experienced, or at least I would have navigated it more effectively. Let's touch on the importance of emotions in relationships. As babies, emotions are how we communicate before we can even speak. Crying, screaming, smiling, squealing are all signs of our internal state, an expression of our needs and a way to communicate with those around us. Being aware of our emotions and their needs is at the core of effective interpersonal communication as well. This is a core tenet of Marshall Rosenberg's book, Nonviolent Communication, which I highly recommend. Understanding our own emotions and feelings lays the foundation to expressing them openly and authentically to others as well. This also enables us to understand what another person may be experiencing. This allows us to feel seen, heard, and understood, and also to see, hear, and understand another. And I will say, when it comes to developing meaningful relationships with others, whether your partner, spouse, children, friends, family, or professional relationships, vulnerability is strength when used with discretion. Showing and expressing our emotions in the right context deepens interpersonal connection and understanding. And when we know our own emotions and where they come from, it becomes less scary to share them with others. 
because we all experience emotions, albeit in different ways. If we don't understand them, there can be fear around showing or expressing emotion because it may seem like they're out of control. But when you're aware of them and have the tools to regulate them, you can interact from a place of love, openness, and curiosity instead of fear, reactivity, and defensiveness. So let's discuss the difference between thoughts, feelings, and emotions. Distinguishing this difference between thoughts, feelings, and emotions is important because Western society tends to be caught up in the head to think of emotion as a weakness and not see its value in comparison to logic. But we are not just thinking heads. We are thinking, feeling, full-body beings. And to feel whole and well, we must treat ourselves as such. Now there's debate among experts on how to define emotion. So rather than get caught up with the details of this, here we aim to understand the relationship between thoughts, feelings, and emotions. So thoughts are contents of the mind. These mental occurrences can influence how we feel, particularly when we allow our attention to get carried away by a thought or pulled into a spiral of other thoughts. Feeling is a word we use to describe the emotions our body is experiencing. Emotions originate as sensations in the body, and feeling is the bridge of awareness connecting thought and emotion. It's our mind's perception of emotion. But we run into trouble when we use the words like or as though when expressing how we feel, because like or as though used after I feel represent intellectualizing emotions or confusing thoughts with emotions. So consider these phrases, I feel like you don't care, or I feel as though I'm on top of the world. You cannot actually feel these experiences in your body. These are contents of the mind. So instead you could say, I feel misunderstood, or I feel empowered. It can be lexically confusing because we can feel emotions while feeling and emotion are different things. So let us be bound by the idea instead of the limits of language. So we've discussed thoughts and feelings. We've learned emotions originate as sensations in the body, whereas feelings are influenced by emotions but are generated from thoughts. Now let's discuss emotions. As I mentioned, there is a debate among experts on a definitive definition of the word emotion. So to understand what emotions are, let's get into how they're created. Dr. Lisa Feldman Barrett is a respected neuroscientist among the top 1% most cited scientists worldwide for her groundbreaking research in psychology and neuroscience. And she developed the theory of constructed emotion. Now, this is a vast topic eloquently described in her book, How Emotions Are Made, which I'll put in the description. So I'm going to try to put it simply. The theory of constructed emotion states that for our brain to operate most efficiently, it uses past experiences and a wide variety of other factors as a guide to making predictions on how we should respond to certain stimuli. 
This includes, but is not limited to, the state of your nervous system, hormone levels, satiety, energy levels, the vocabulary of emotions, and perceptions of past experiences. This all adds to your brain's and body's generalizations of emotions you experience as pleasant or unpleasant, high or low. These experiences occur because it's our mind's way of balancing our body budget. Our body budget is how our brain budgets energy in the body to keep us alive and well. To ensure our body budget is balanced, the brain anticipates and attempts to satisfy the body's needs even before the need arises. For composing 2% of our total mass, the brain uses about 20% of our energy. So to operate most efficiently, it has become a prediction and meaning-making machine inside our skull. It's also interesting to note that there are no biological fingerprints of emotion in the brain or facial expressions. This means feelings and emotions are unique to each and every individual. Emotion does not have a unique and consistent visible expression across individuals or even within the same individual across instances. And just to note, if you hear my bird in the background, he gets a little bit excited when I'm talking and he likes to join in on the conversation. His name is Wally and he's an African gray parrot. He's a very emotional and sensitive being kind of like me, so I guess it fits. I digress. So I had mentioned emotion does not have a unique and consistent visible expression across individuals. So this means a certain emotion like anger will not show up the same in one individual and another. Although it is also interesting to note that a team of scientists in Finland asked people to map out where they felt different emotions in their bodies, and they found that the results were surprisingly consistent even across cultures. This relates to an exciting graphic that may help you connect with how emotions are experienced in your body. So I'll include this image in the episode transcript, which is on the sprout.io website, or you can just Google heat map of emotions. Anyways, some time ago, I asked Dr. Feldman Barrett on Twitter how she could describe the theory of constructed emotion or how emotions are made to a five-year-old, and this is how she replied. Interesting question. I probably wouldn't describe the theory itself, but would, number one, point out the huge variety of what a single facial movement means, like a smile, and number two, talk about the emotional experiences of storybook characters and how the characters can help themselves. Then she included a image with an excerpt from her book on the importance of developing emotional awareness in children. Now, I think this is important to include because as adults and our beautiful capacity of neuroplasticity, we can train ourselves to change how we feel about and experience emotions. So here's the excerpt. Speak to your child about emotions and other mental states as early as possible, even if you think they are too young to understand. Remember that infants develop concepts well before you realize it is happening. 
So look children straight in the eye, widen your eyes to grab their attention, and speak about bodily sensations and movements in terms of emotions and other mental states. See that little boy? He's crying. He's feeling pain from falling down and scraping his knee. He is sad and probably wants a hug from his parents. Elaborate on the feelings of storybook characters, your children's emotions, and your emotions. Use a wide variety of emotion words. Talk about what causes emotions and what their consequences are to others. Think of yourself as your children's tour guide through the mysterious world of humans and their movements and sounds. Your detailed explanations help your children build a well-developed conceptual system for emotions. When you teach emotion concepts to children, you are doing more than communicating. You're creating a reality for these kids, a social reality. You're handing them tools to regulate their body budget, to make meaning of their sensations, and act on them to communicate how they feel and to influence others. And this is an excerpt from How Emotions Are Made by Lisa Feldman Barrett. Okay, so now that we've talked about thoughts, feelings, emotions, how emotions are made, our body budget, and how our brain is a prediction-making machine, I hope this expanded awareness and provided an understanding of feelings and emotions. Although, when I first learned about the theory of constructed emotions, it opened a can of worms in a way as to why I am the way I am, and prompted a existential crisis of sorts. And, of course, that's not my intention. It seems that learning new perspective or ways to understand the human experience can be uncomfortable because it pushes the limits of our knowledge, but pushing the limits of what we know is how we grow. Now let's discuss language, an integral aspect of feeling, understanding, and differentiating emotion. To quote Brene Brown, a prominent psychologist, researcher, author, and lecturer researching shame, vulnerability, and leadership, language is the greatest tool for meaningful connection, and having access to the right words changes everything. Language is our portal to meaning-making, connection, healing, learning, and self-awareness. And this is from Brene's book, Atlas of the Heart, Mapping Meaningful Connection and the Language of Human Experience. In fact, our vocabulary of emotions directly relates to the depth at which we can experience them. In Brene Brown's research on shame resilience, they asked participants in the training workshops to list all the emotions they could recognize and name as they were experiencing them. Then, over five years, they collected surveys from more than 7,000 people. The average number of emotions called across the surveys was three. The emotions were happy, sad, and angry. And we know our brains are meaning-making machines and strive to categorize experiences to make sense of the world. So to do this internally and within our communication with others, Having the correct language to describe emotions is integral. To illustrate this concept, here's a quote from philosopher Ludwig Wittgenstein in Atlas of the Heart, Brene Brown's book. The limits of my language mean the limits of my world. 
What does it mean if the vastness of human emotion and experience can only be expressed as mad, sad, or happy? What about shame, disappointment, wonder, awe, disgust, embarrassment, despair, contentment, boredom, anxiety, stress, love, overwhelm, surprise, and all the other emotions and experiences that define what it means to be human? I feel this quote deeply as I've been learning to expand my own emotional vocabulary for some time now and have noticed the profound impact on my well-being and my ability to perceive nuance. It's almost as if expanding your vocabulary of emotion adds more color to your world. To expand your emotion vocabulary, you can check out an emotion wheel and maybe make it the background of your phone. I also highly recommend the book Alice of the Heart by Brene Brown. It truly is an atlas of the heart and almost a dictionary of all the emotions that we can experience, where they come from and what they mean. It's very insightful. And also if you're a bittersweet kind of soul like me, the book the Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows is phenomenal. And this author took seven years to create a whole dictionary of words that didn't exist before. Some of them are made from words from other languages or combinations of words, but it makes you feel more connected to yourself and the world, knowing that the emotions you didn't have names for are actually shared experiences. It made me embrace my humanity a little bit more. And there's also another book called Bittersweet by Susan Cain, which describes how sorrow and longing make us whole, which beautifully describes how the lows and darkness we experience are directly related to our capacity to feel highs and joy, love and light. Susan Cain is also the author of the book Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking. And this book revolutionized how the world perceives and understands how introverts function. I wanted to share some of my favorite emotion words with you. So number one, we'll start with alexithymia, which is an inability to identify and express or describe one's feelings and emotions. Next is the German word Freudenfreude, which means to derive joy from another's joy. This is the opposite of the word Scheudenfreude which means to derive joy from someone's misfortune. And I gotta admit, we've all done this at some point. <laughs> the next word is sonder, which comes from the Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows, which means the profound feeling of realizing that everyone, including strangers passing in the street, has a life as complex as one's own, which they are constantly living despite one's personal lack of awareness of it. That's really beautiful. And the word liberosis, the desire to care less about things. And I might botch the pronunciation of this one. Backpfeifen Geschicht, meaning a face in need of a fist. 
I don't condone violence, but I think this word is funny and relatable because we all get angry sometimes and clench our fists in rage. And next is the word, the Dutch word, gezellig, which is difficult to translate, but basically means having an inviting and friendly ambiance, cozy, nice, pleasant, or sociable. This could be related to conviviality or fun. My family is Dutch, and I grew up hearing this word, although I'm Canadian, so I feel this one. Next is the word kafune, which means to tenderly or affectionately run your fingers through one's hair, whether a loved human or pet. And the Chinese word xing, which is spelled x-i-n in English, which doesn't differentiate between the heart and the mind because it refers to both together as our core. And please give me some grace if I accidentally mispronounced any of these words in your language. My Canadian accent will faithfully shine through. And lastly, ineffable. Although there are many words I adore that express emotions. Ineffability is the quality of something that surpasses the capacity of language to express it. These are usually experiences that inspire wonder beyond what words can express. I suppose the emotions we don't yet have words for are ineffable. I would love to know what emotion words you have in your language that don't exist in English, or even English words that aren't used so commonly, and what they mean. So send me a tweet with your words at MarinaVanderH on Twitter. So now let's get to the good part, how to feel emotions. Let's start with awareness. You can feel emotions by connecting to how you're experiencing them in your body. Notice sensation, where those sensations are located. Try to expand your language of sensations as well. Breathe deeply, breathe into emotions, Feel your breath stoking the fire of your liveliness. Next is interoception, which is the perception of sensations from inside the body. It includes the perception of physical sensations related to internal organ functions, such as heartbeat, respiration, and satiety, as well as the autonomic nervous system activity related to emotions. You can strengthen interoceptive abilities by tuning into your breath. Notice how deeply you're breathing, how fast you're breathing, and if you can notice the space between inhale and exhale. Notice your heart rate, observe satiety and digestion. The last time you ate, what you ate, how it made you feel and how hydrated you are. Assess your energy level, high or low, pleasant or unpleasant. Remember how you slept and if food, supplements, or medication can influence this. Next is stillness. Be still for a moment as often as you can, at least every day. Notice how the sensations in your body shift from moment to moment. If you don't even know where to start, with being still and allowing emotions, sprout meditations may offer some guidance. 
Next is give yourself permission to feel and experience the energy alive within you. Emotion is energy in motion. Take a moment to write down the emotion, journal about it, negative, positive, or somewhere in between, and why it is affecting you. This way you can learn more about yourself and express yourself to others with ease. Sometimes seeing it on paper or in front of us can help us better understand them too. Next is accept emotions. If you're feeling sad, allow yourself to cry instead of holding back tears. Sometimes watching a sad movie or listening to sad music can help you with this too. If you're feeling happy, smile and let others know. The sooner you acknowledge the feeling, the sooner you can embody it and move through it. Next is to investigate. Make the unconscious conscious. Tune into where emotions are coming from, what they mean, and the needs your emotion is trying to express. As Carl Jung says, until we make the unconscious conscious, it directs our life and we call it fate. So see emotions as a plant in the garden of your consciousness. Trace its roots back down to the source, perhaps in childhood or a previous experience. When you understand the root of what you're dealing with, it becomes easier to manage and eventually transcend the emotion. For me, working with a therapist has been integral to understanding where my emotions come from and the needs they express. Next is to move intuitively. Remember we are physical beings and a big part of processing emotion is movement. Emotion is energy in motion and it helps a great deal neurologically and biologically to move our bodies when it comes to balancing our body budget and managing emotions. Move in a way that feels good for you right now if you're able. For example, roll your wrists, ankles, or head from side to side. Notice how it changes the sensations in your body, even in the slightest. Take a deep breath. Move, shake, groove, baby. And if you're so inclined, get up and move in a way that feels right for you. Dance, jiggle, wiggle, jump up and down, give yourself a hug, scream into a pillow, flex your muscles, writhe and contort your body in whatever way you want. Do interpretive dance or an Irish jig. Cry, smile, laugh, hug a tree, a loved one, or a pet. Take your shoes off, feel the earth under your soles. Listen to your body and ask it what it needs. Next is practice and patience. Feeling takes practice, especially if you've been disconnected from yourself and caught up in your head too long. So give yourself grace Meet your inner critic with compassion and make time to be still and connect with your internal state. Allow yourself to feel weird, awkward, or embarrassed because discomfort is the price of admission to a meaningful life. It's how we learn, grow, and actualize our potential. Remember you are a thinking, feeling, and emotional being, so don't forget to pay attention to your emotions. In summary of this episode, I was going to say I feel this is a lot of information I included, but 
That's a thought, not an emotion. So I will say instead, I think it may be a lot of information. So if you didn't retain everything, that's okay. I'll be elaborating on these topics in new episodes. And please let me know your feedback too, as it will help me structure this podcast most effectively. So in summary, we learned the importance of emotions, the difference between thoughts, feelings, and emotions, how emotions are made, and the theory of constructed emotion. Essentially, our brain is a prediction-making machine to balance our body's energy budget. This helps us consciously and unconsciously meet our needs to keep ourselves alive. That there are no biological fingerprints of emotion in the brain or facial expressions, meaning emotions are unique to each and every individual. And how our vocabulary of emotions determines the depth at which we can experience the world and how language maps the meaning of experience. And we learned how to practice feeling emotions by being still, giving ourselves permission to feel, investigating the source of emotion, moving intuitively, practicing, and being patient. So that's it for this episode. If you enjoyed this, I would be grateful if you left a review wherever you're listening. Also, feel free to send this to someone you care about who could use a gentle reminder to tune into the feelings and emotions alive within them. Check out the Sprout with a W-S-P-R-O-W-T emotion meditation app if you'd like to be guided through feeling, understanding, and processing emotions through meditation. New content is uploaded weekly, and this week's practice is trust, finding trust within yourself. And lastly, breathe air with flair, be self-aware, and take care. Grow through what you go through, and emotional regards till next time.